You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where hosts from the network and friends drop by. We just talk all things geeky. I do hope you've ordered something special from Ruby. I am your host, Matthew Rushing, and I've got some special guests with me today. Mike Schindler from Standard Ornament Commentary Trek Stars, Commentary Track Stars. Mike, do you do any other commentaries? Not really. Sort of. Doesn't matter. It's good enough. Yeah. Oh, well... <laughs> There is the one that you can find in the master feed where you did the commentary for was it two thousand and nine? Yeah, yeah, I did do that on my on my own. Yeah, yeah so, a few things, but yeah, yeah, you, you you hit the main ones. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, glad to have you back here in the six hundred two. Yeah, thanks for having me. And for the first time, I've got Bruce Gibson with me. Uh, Bruce, it is awesome to have you in the six hundred two club, and uh, we kind of met through. The Twitter and the Facebook and and all of that, and you're a huge Star Wars fan um, and sci-fi fan in general, so welcome to the land of the geek. Well, thank you, thank you. I've been looking for the land of the geek for all my life, looking for my fellow geeks out there, and here we are. I think I found it. (laughs) Well, I'm excited because um, we're going to do something that we, we haven't done very much on the show, and that is talking about an original film. In fact, this year... Uh, we had Jupiter Ascending, and Mike, you were on that show, and we were just kind of reminiscing before we recorded that we don't get a lot of original things there in the movies these days. So That's true. We don't get a lot of original science fiction features, although this year, pretty solid. We had Jupiter Ascending, and uh, then Ex Machina, and now Mm -hmm. this. Yeah, yeah, which is, I think is just great. We're going to be talking about Tomorrowland, um, about because I think I forgot to mention that. And so you're going to have to bear with us. Both Mike and I are feeling a little bit under the weather. Um, But we wanted to sit down and and talk about this. And I think, you know, as Mike and I mentioned, because we don't get a lot of original sci-fi films or just even really original movies, I think, outside of comedies, which I don't know how original they are. um, It's something that I was excited to be able to do. I remember seeing the... um, previews for Tomorrowland, and and now that it's out, uh, Bruce, what were your kind of first impressions after walking out of the theater? What did you think? You know, I really really didn't know what to expect, if this was really geared towards families or if it was going to be more in-depth, but it it definitely was a family film, and what I enjoyed most about it when I walked out of the theater was the fact that the audience that was there actually applauded at the end of the film. So I don't know if you experienced that, but coming out of the theater, I was thinking very much of a positive message, a good feel. And I think that's what the audience was getting out of it was that there's this positive messaging there and coming out of there. It actually was a good feeling walking out of the theater as opposed to the good feeling of, oh, that was a great movie. But this was a a good feeling about humanity and about the messaging it was trying to bring across. Yeah, I think that was a huge part. What did you end up thinking, Mike? Just kind of your first impressions. Uh, yeah, it's weird because my first impressions were like, oh, this is a really cool movie and, you know, it has a good message. And, you know, there was a lot of, you know, nice imagery. It was like very well crafted, you know. I mean, like the photography was beautiful. The direction was solid. The editing was great. Walter Murch um, and, and, and all that stuff. And then the next day I was thinking about it. And I was like, what was that movie about again? I totally, (laughs) to be fair, I mean, I didn't start watching it until like two o'clock in the morning and, you know, but I didn't like fall asleep or anything, you know, and like rewatching some scenes and stuff like that. I, uh, you know, kind of had a a bit of a a lesser um, uh, opinion of it the second time through, like, there's a lot of like cool little tricks and, and, and things in this, but when you put it all together, it's kind of a mess. But on the whole, I'd still say it's a pretty good movie. 
you know, I, I coming out of the movie this weekend, um, you know, went to see it in, in IMAX, which honestly was great. The whole film is in IMAX format, so it's one of the few movies I've seen where that's the case, you know, that you're actually watching the entire movie in IMAX format like that. Um, so that was nice. I felt like I got my dollar right there, you know, dollar's worth. That's a really weird thing, which I could probably spend <laughs> the entire time talking about, but it's a complicated issue, and I'm I'm conflicted yes. on that. Because uh, it it was weirdly shot. It was shot in in like a throwback to uh, movies of the seventies and stuff. It was shot in two point two to one, which is the seventy millimeter aspect ratio. Yeah, and then they kind of ruined that for IMAX by just opening it up. But hmm. whatever. Anyway, well, I wonder then if we'll get like the seventy millimeter style print, then say on a Blu Ray or DVD when it comes out. That'd be my guess. I would. think. I, I think so, especially since that's what he did for Ghost Protocol. And and even I okay. even asked him yeah. on Twitter. I'm like, which do you prefer? And he's like, it's complicated. So. <laughs> That's funny. He's he's giving you the diplomatic answer. Yeah. That's funny. Um, well, I you know coming out of the film, I I really enjoyed the movie. You know, um, it's it's by far not a perfect movie, but when I consider the other original sci-fi movie that I saw this year which was Jupiter Ascending, and Mike, we disagreed on that one, but, you know, it was, for me, just a, that was a mess. Um, you know, this one, whereas not perfect, I think that the points of the film and the message of the film and the reason it was made as a film all come across really well, and so, therefore, I ended up really enjoying it. Um, and I, I, I liked, like, Bruce, I just liked being able to come out of a movie and be like, I feel good, you know? I want to go, like, change the world now, you know? And how long has it been since we've gone to the movies and <laughs> felt like that, especially since they literally mock the whole, the fact that we have movies about the end of the world. And right before seeing this movie, of course, I've seen San Andreas, the preview about, you know, the death of of california basically so um you know i just i like that i love a movie that that has let go of of just some of that cynicism and so my my counter argument to that though would be um you know the the last science fiction movie which came out right before this would be mad max fury road which is obviously the exact opposite vision of the future and yet i would say that that movie actually left me more uplifted because that, in a very similar way to, to, to what Tomorrowland was doing, said, you know what, we can change it. Even if things are bad, we still can make them better, you know? And it's about, like, overcoming something that's even, like, further down the road, no pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, than, yeah. than Tomorrowland <laughs> is, you know? And it's funny because I had the same thought as you in the sense that both of the movies really had very similar messages. So I don't think anybody would have ever thought Mad Max Fury Road and Tomorrowland would have similar themes to them. And yet, in the end, they kind of do of, you know, we can change, you know, the future for the better. It takes people actually standing up to do that. And and that's... That's a really, again, great message. I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, Mike, I ended up responding well to Fury Road because of its messages. Um, And I was surprised because I went into the movie kind of a blank slate, never seen any Mad Max films, had no idea what to expect, and it turned out to be something that I really actually enjoyed. Well, one of the the nice things about this movie, Bruce, you mentioned this, and I, I do like it when actual good family films do come out because it's kind of rare these days for a really good family movie you could take your kids to you don't have to feel like weirded out what are they going to see are they going to see something that you know they shouldn't and this movie felt like disney's imagination station you know like brad bird just took you know, all things dizzy disney and kind of the fun of of movies and and the dreaming in movies and the and I just I felt like he poured all of that, and this movie just to me has a lot of whimsy, which it's not something we see very much, even in kids' movies. I mean, think about the most popular kids' movies these days, or um, and I say kids' movies more like teen movies, but you know, like uh, Hunger Games. You know, this is like I was reading an article. This is like the anti-Hunger Games. You know, um, 
in a lot of ways. Um, so what did you guys kind of think about just the, the sheer joy of the imagination in this movie? Well, I have to laugh when you say the anti-Hunger Games because my 13-year-old daughter is a huge fan of the Hunger Games and she has no desire to see Tomorrowland. She says it just <laughs> looks boring. It doesn't look like something she's really into. And I kept thinking in the back of my mind, well, is it because it's not like the Hunger Games, which in a lot of ways is kind of sad. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love the Hunger Games, but the fact that you know, her generation may be looking at movies like The Hunger Games and Divergent and then seeing movies that are more light and fluffy and, and maybe the interest isn't there because they're so used to more of the grittier, scarier type movies now. I, I don't know. I, I want to get her to this movie just to see what she's going to think, but I haven't been able to drag her there yet. But, you know, the, the thing I liked about Tomorrowland is it really kept with the theme of the Tomorrowland Park or section of the park of Disneyland and uh, Magic Kingdom. And the fact that that was the goal of Walt Disney was the positive thinking, the feeling of there's hope out there, there's a future, there's something to build towards and being innovative and getting to that place. And that's, I think, the core of where that movie started was the idea of Tomorrowland the, in the theme parks. And so I thought that really worked well and that messaging came across. I was worried that would go in a totally different direction have nothing to do with Walt Disney's vision, but it was there. And I think that that was a big selling point to me. Yeah, that, that is actually interesting. You know, I'm a I'm a pretty big Disney nerd. I, I mean, I I even got married at the at Disney World. But anyway, um, you know, and, and that that idea that you're talking about, that this is sort of like embracing the philosophy of the theme park that in I know birds talked a lot about Epcot as well you know kind of it being the same thing um that's really cool you know you see all these movies now which are adaptations of rides and it's like well how does that work and this is one yeah. where it really <laughs> does work they take instead of saying like you know with Pirates of the Caribbean which I personally think is uh problematic at best um you know, instead of taking that ride or whatever and saying, like, we need to hit this beat and this beat and the part where the thing goes down into the water or whatever, they're just like, no, let's take the philosophy of that and apply that to a different medium and see how that works as a story. And I, I thought that that was really cool. That was definitely my favorite part of the movie. To me, this movie is the imagination of hope. Like... That And that's what I think you guys are both hitting on. That's what Walt Disney hoped that kids would have as they walked around Tomorrowland, is that they would be inspired to create the next great thing, you know? And I don't mean the next great thing like the next great thing you put in your pocket and makes your life more convenient. That's That's not what this movie is about. This movie is actually about changing the world. And I loved that whole even just challenging four kids are ideas of what actually makes the world better you know does all the technology that we have really make all the world better or does it make it more convenient and is that really the same thing you know there's some really huge themes in this movie and i think that's an important thing for us to think about you know because the money that we pour into having the next cell phone or the next smartwatch, well that doesn't change the world. It just maybe, and I say maybe, makes my life more convenient. And I, I love this this thought of, like, how can we really change the, the world? And the fact that this really is, again, just that kind of imagination of we are hopeful for the future in a lot of the same ways that I see Star Trek. You know, um, we're a whole network devoted to Star Trek, and I think Tomorrowland and Star Trek have a lot in common of saying, look, the human race can do better. We can be better. You know, we can we can change the course of the future if we band together in in a different way than we have before. And I liked that it felt like Bird was really kind of tapping into that. And it's the same thing I think that Walt Disney was tapping into when he created Tomorrowland in the first place. And kind of the reason that he created this magical land of imagination because that's what brings about you know real change whether it's technologically somebody imagining we can go to the moon you know and then making that happen um i i just love that 
I, I think it's awesome. Um, and then on top of that, to have, which Bruce, speaking to your point with uh, your daughter, you know, this movie has the young female lead who's also a scientific person, you know, showing that girls can be cool and still like science, you know, which is something that's so important to to not stereotype our kids that, oh, you're a girl, you can't do science, you know. No, I love that, you know, and it's not in your face in this film. It's just, you know, it's great. That's her talent. That's what she's got, you know. Um, things just work for her. And I just really, in the same way that, you know, for Frank as a little boy, things just worked for him. So um, you had both, you know, sexes being represented as we can we can make a difference, you know. And I just, you just don't, again, we just don't get that much in movies. And I wish we got more of it. <laughs> because, um, you know, there's, there's a difference between... Um, like I think the good storytelling, say in um, you know, Fury Road, and just uh, you know beat 'em up action movie, you know, and and I I liked that when a movie tries to at least have a point. Is Tomorrowland completely successful in everything it tries to do? Absolutely not. But you know, um, it's it's actually trying. So I'm gonna give it some serious credit for that. Um, I guess the the problem that I had with it more than anything was that um, it does a very good job of making its point in the first five minutes. And then there's another two hours of movie where it's just kind of, you know, hitting that that nail on the head repeatedly. And it's like, I get it, guys. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I I mean, it's almost like to me, it it seems like an, an oversimplification of of that uh of that message you know just like well you know i guess spoilers i don't know um if you think positive then things will be better and it's like okay yeah that's a good first step but then you know they they say that like at the beginning of the movie and then at the end of the movie we find out that that is true and it's like well where is the the anything there i mean that's literally you're just stating your thesis again i don't i don't know it's it seems a little too simple for me you know what i mean well yeah and i i mean i think that's one of the things where i agree with you and i can let some of that go because this is a movie that's really geared towards kids you know like this is this is brad bird making i think in some ways interstellar for kids those same kind of really big ideas boiling them down saying there's hope out there. We need to grab onto it. And and it's 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 not necessarily more than that because well, you know, you you start to lose your 5-year-old to, you know, 12-year-old audience when you when you get like super deep into that. And I think that's one of the things where it's like I liked that the movie would I'm hoping lead to some great discussions, like a movie you could actually talk to your kids afterwards about. You know, like and 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 that's where, honestly, being a good parent comes in. <laughs> I, I I will say that uh, as far as it being like a kids movie, I do think that uh, they did a really good job of sort of not dumbing down the style for for kids. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something which happens uh, way too often. Is they they kind of like cheat and say like, well, we don't really need to try so hard because it's just a kids movie. That sort of thing. And um, this, I think, was, you know, so well-crafted. Um, they, they really did a good job of, of stepping up every other element. It's really, the only problem that I have with the movie really is uh, the script. One of the things that I really, on top of the imagination, was this idea of, of kind of fighting against cynicism, you know, um, because, I mean, it pervades our culture, and, and I especially our geek culture. I mean, we have a super hater geek culture out there that nothing's ever good enough. Everybody always has something to complain about. Um, we always kind of fo- focus on the negative of things. And and honestly, it's just kind of leaked into every single part of our lives from, you know, uh, what we entertain ourselves with to the way we kind of live our lives to politics to, I mean, just everything. And I... I feel, <laughs> that 
that that ball there it it was like the death star of negativity just hanging over us literally and i trying to get rid of that and what did you guys think about the idea of that kind of metaphor like what do we feed do we feel feed the angry negative wolf um that the dad uses in the film uh, or do we feed you know the wolf of positivity and 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 hope like and and how do we balance that and especially the culture that we have today. Well, one of the things that was talking about, especially when uh, Casey's in school, uh, you know, they, they're they talking about all these negative things that are happening in the world, famine and war and, and, and so on and so forth. And her question is, but what are we going to do about it? And, you know, that was the other part of the commentary of this film was, well, you know, we know there's a problem. We talk about it. We acknowledge it. I mean, even when I was watching uh, the news today, it was all negative, but there's just never a mention of a solution to the problems. And that's what I took away from the film. It's not just thinking positively, but taking that positive energy and thinking, well, how can we improve on things? What, what, what are the answers? What are the solutions to uh, correcting the world's problems? And, you know, the fact that there's a constant messaging throughout the movie and, and, and to think of hope and to, and to think of achieving and, and so on and so forth, that has to be consistent through the whole movie because that's the messaging to us is we have to be consistent in thinking that way over and over and over again. And it's interesting to me also that this movie did under $50 million. It was expected to do 50 or a little more, but it came a little under and I'll hear people talk about it was a little too sugary sweet, a little too more too positive. But then at the same time, I hear people complain Star Trek in the darkness is doesn't have that hope and vision, that Roddenberry messaging that needs to be there. So I, I don't know. Maybe there's there's a fine balance between those two. No, I think uh, I think that you're on to something, Bruce. There does have to be a balance, you know, um, because, you know, we don't. We don't want something to be too Pollyanna. Use a Disney film, <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, I think we just really, we really just live in a culture that doesn't necessarily know how to have good things anymore. Um, we, we've we've kind of pushed them aside, and for as much as people complain about, oh, our superheroes are too dark and yada yada yada, you know, they keep going to see all of these movies, you know, and then a movie like this comes out, and and people don't go to see it. You know, because, it, oh, it's too sugary. Well, it's like, okay, apparently the movie going public has no idea what it really wants. And you vote with your dollar. You know, what kind of movie do you want? And if you'd like to see more movies like something like uh, Tomorrowland, or even though I didn't love it, the, the originality and something like a um, Jupiter Ascending or something like that, you're going to need to start voting with your dollars and so that we can get those different types of films. Otherwise, you're literally going to get nothing but sequels and remakes of old movies because Hollywood, it's a business, you know? So, um, and it's sad to me that, you know, people talk about they crave original movies, but that original movie gets so-so reviews and people are just, like, out. You know, they're like cockroaches scurrying from the light, Um and, you know, you make a comic book movie or a sequel and people don't care about the reviews. They'll go to see it whether it got, you know, 0% on Rotten Tomatoes or not. So it, I don't understand personally because, you know, again, I didn't love Jupiter Ascending, but I'm really glad that I went and saw it because um, I want Hollywood to know, even if the movie's not great, I'd like to be able to not know what's coming <laughs> mm-hmm. in the film. And that's what I kind of loved about this movie is that I don't really know what's coming in the storyline. Um, how exactly it's all going to work out, you know. Is Nick's going to be the bad guy for sure? Or is there something else going on, um, you know. And what I loved about this movie is that there were some gray areas. It wasn't just all like everybody on one side is bad, everybody on the other side is good, you know. Um, it was a little bit more gray and that you know that's that's pretty complex again for for a kids movie that is is trying to get across this this message of hope and so um and kind of in the end 
you know, there's some big themes here, but we are having a kids movie that's talking about the fact that we end the world in 57 days. Yeah. It's kind of dark. I mean, what did you guys end up thinking about realizing that this movie is, okay, we're stopping the apocalypse. Like, this is like, we're throwing in a little Terminator there. We're trying to stop Judgment Day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the way that it's presented, you know, you never really do think about it like that, you know, kind of in that, that sort of dark mindset. But, I mean, when you say it, yeah, it is there. It's kind of weird for a Disney movie. But they handled it well. Well, I mean, they have the scene where she's seeing into the future with the monitor that they've created with techno battle, techno battle, techno battle, tachyons, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it's showing like atom bombs going off and cities being destroyed. I mean, it's pretty dark. She sees her house completely underwater in Florida. It's been destroyed, you know? So as much as there's a positive message to that, there's also, I felt like a good reason for that positive message. Hey, we change or we destroy ourselves, you know, in the same way that, Mad Max is very much the same thing. We're going to we're either change or we're going to die, you know. We're going to we're just going to beat ourselves into oblivion. Uh it's interesting to have a kids movie really talk about the idea that in the end we're kind of our own worst enemy. I just wonder if kids really come out of that movie thinking about making change because that's part of the messaging, but I wonder if they really come out thinking about it or if they just say, oh, that was a fun movie. That was that was good. And and not do anything about it, because there really isn't anything in the movie that gives you the answer on how to make the change, except, you know, think positive, look for hope. But there really isn't a solution. And I know we have to ask ourselves, what is that solution to figure it out? But I don't know if that movie is going to actually prompt kids to all of a sudden start going home and writing down ideas and how they're going to solve the world's problems. <laughs> so, but you know, Man, it's, only if it it's would. definitely nice to have a positive movie like that. But I also think audiences, if they get a movie like this, I think they're looking for a lot of humor, which this had some humor, but also a lot of emotion. I, there wasn't anything in there that like tugged, tugged at my heartstrings that made me go, Oh, you know, like I just wanted to cry. Like, you know, some of those Pixar movies. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because you say that, but the whole scene between Athena and Frank was really moving for me because I, I got to give it to um, Rafi Cassidy who plays Athena. But that little girl stood toe to toe with with um, George Clooney and like didn't blink. Like she just she made that role and you felt like. In a lot of ways that she was the more childlike when he was a child and more adult-like when he was an adult. And you could kind of feel that there had been this tension between them, even though she's, you know, 12 and, and he's George Clooney. You know, to me, I I really responded to that well um, in the film. And I was really surprised because I wasn't expecting to have any kind of emotional resonance, really. And I just really liked that. I think it's because that actress just, she nails that character yeah she was really good i mean so was the the lead um the girl who played casey um brit robertson and yeah. uh and george clooney was was great as per usual i kept like there's this scene in the car where she, he's he's yelling at uh athena or whatever and i kept on thinking like wow this is like and i mean this with the utmost uh uh, respect like this is like George Clooney's performance in From Dusk Till Dawn you know we haven't seen this 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 uh, passion from him in a while you know it's kind of great to to see him back in his element I guess when they're looking back and forth at each other but trying to pretend like they're not looking at each other like it was it was awesome it was almost like they were back being quote-unquote kids again you know, that they're doing that thing that kids do. And Clooney and, and uh, Rafi just make it work. You know, you feel everything about that. I thought that that was really, really nice. Um, what would you guys think about um, having Tim McGraw as the dad? You know, Tim McGraw's been in a few things. Um, but uh, what did you end up thinking of, of him being the dad? Did he have any impact on you guys? or No. <laughs> I didn't even know it was Tim no. McGraw until I read the credits. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> he's That's a singer funny. of some sort 
Okay. Yes, he is right. a country singer. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I didn't realize it was him, and but I mean, it was such a small role too. I just it just didn't stand out. It I, I kind of forgot about him actually after a while. Not to say that he didn't do a good job, but it just wasn't a big role. Is he the guy who had the alter ego rock personality in like 1999 or whatever it was? No, never mind. The Rock? You mean like? Like like he was Dwayne he like Johnson he he had like rock? like a rock album too, but it was like he was playing a different character. No, that's Garth oh, Brooks. Whatever. Okay, sorry, <laughs> my bad. That's okay. Same thing. Yeah, that's right? Garth Same Brooks. Difference. Back when I was like in high school, so um, that's really funny, man. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Um, well, what did you guys uh, think about Hugh Laurie? Because that is is the character in the movie where. You know, for the most part, you're kind of unsure as to exactly who he's going to be and, and how he's going to turn out in the film. At least I thought so. And so that I, I didn't know exactly what to expect until the very end when, you know, they kind of reveal who he's going to be in the movie. Um, what did you guys think about him? Well, he was kind of a jerk at the beginning. You know, it's like when Frank as yeah. a kid comes into the World's Fair with his jetpack and He's just kind of like, you know, well, what is this kid? Yeah, right. Whatever. Get out of here. And, you know, what what turned things around about that character for me was towards the end, as he starts explaining why he was doing what he was doing, he was actually trying to save the world. So in a lot of ways, I didn't want looking back. I wish he didn't play a bad character or a he's the bad guy, because you could kind of tell up front he's probably going to be the bad guy of the film. But if he just played it straight as being, you know, oh, he's a nice guy. He's just, what he's doing is just not working, but he's determined to keep trying or he's going down the wrong path. I just think that would have been a little more interesting than the stereotypical, I'm the bad guy and I've got you now. Yeah, he definitely felt underutilized to me. I mean, when you put Hugh Laurie in your movie, you should really uh, kind of (laughs) take advantage of that situation. And here, it just felt like he didn't have anything interesting or cool to do. Uh, It was just very sort of paint-by-the-numbers stuff, and that was kind of disappointing to me. It would have... What I loved about the character personally was just the whole that he is kind of this already cynical person at the beginning of the film. You know, when Athena is saying that she wants Frank, and he's like, not him. You know, he doesn't want to take him to Tomorrowland. Um, you know, he, he's already prejudging people. You know, he he's judging books by their covers, basically, it seems like. And it's interesting to me that the robot in the film, Athena, is much more in tune with who people really are than this, you know, genius, you know, and, and there's really in some ways, um, I think a hubris of the genius there, you know, and, and, um, she kind of in the end, um, she has more original ideas and more original thoughts about how to save the universe than even he does. And I just thought that was really interesting juxtaposition of all these characters and, it could have been, I think, played a little bit differently, especially at the beginning, so it wasn't so obvious he was probably going to be the bad guy. Um, I like kind of where it ended up in the end. Um, and um, that, you know, in the end, he's he's kind of killed by... He's hoisted on his own petard, let's say. <laughs> um, so... Well, I mean, saying that, you know, the idea of the, the robot having a better uh, sort of handle on humanity than the the super genius. <laughs> it kind of makes me want to do a double feature between Tomorrowland and Ex Machina because that, that's a, a very similar theme in that movie. Well, you could do a triple th- feature. Ex Machina, Mad Max Fury Road, and Tomorrowland. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah there you let's go. do it. That would be a really interesting... Uh, I'd like to see... I haven't seen uh, Ex Machina, but I've heard really great things about it, so it's something I'm, I'm hoping to be able to get to. Yeah, check it out for sure. Um, yeah. Well, and I, it's interesting to me that, you know, these movies are kind of having this theme. Um, and, you know, running through Mad Max and, and running through Tomorrowland is this, it really seems like the idea of we are inventing for comfort, for creature comfort, instead of in, inventing for the future. 
you know, we're so worried about when the next, you know, smartphone's going to come out, when the next computer thing's going to come out. It's going to make my lives more convenient than actually inventing the things that will really push us towards the future. And I, I really responded to the idea, and I think it was because I'm a Star Trek fan, and knowing how much Star Trek was motivated by NASA... Um, and vice versa. Those two things just really, you know, uh, helped each other come up with some amazing things. Um, the the fact that we have that, you know, her dad works for NASA and part of his installation there at Cape Canaveral is being taken apart because we're not going to use it anymore. And and the loss of that imagination that happened that, that was fueled by, I think, so many people watching something like Star Trek. You know, how many of the astronauts said, you know, I watched Star Trek and that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to go to space. You know, and and that's kind of what I think Brad Bird is trying to really get apart in this movie is saying, hey, let's inspire the next generation instead of just shoveling them this idea of cynicism and hating things because they're not cool enough or just being cynical. You know, why don't we actually take care of the world that we've been given and and be a good steward of it you know and and get away from instant gratification why don't we stop living for just right now and start living for you know future generations and all of that was really wrapped in the movie for me as well and and i think it played well with with how the actors played it and um I don't know if it, it could have been hit differently to to help some people respond better, but for me, it works. I mean, so, something which you've touched on, you know, twice is you know the idea of uh, we're at a point in society where you know technological advancement is is uh, being driven by creature comforts or whatever, and and you know maybe not necessarily advancing humanity, but. You know, there's also that thing in this movie at the very beginning where he's like, I built a jetpack. And then House is like, yeah, but what's it going to do? Why is this a good thing? And he's like, I don't know. You know, it's a jetpack. It's cool. Don't, you know, don't knock jetpacks. And then at the end, you know, it, it turns out that the jetpack saves the world, right? Or something like that. Kind of. No? Sort of? Yeah. But the, I think that that's kind of a, a mirror to what's going on in, in society where it's like we want a cell phone we want to be able to use the internet when we're on the go or whatever and in the process what we've come up with you know because people want to be able to order their pizza so that it's waiting for them at home when they get there we now have like the entire knowledge of the world and history or whatever in the palm of our hands and that's pretty freaking amazing, you know? So, I mean, I think there's that side of it, too. You know, the idea of, you know, you don't knock a technology just because you don't know what it's being used for or because uh, uh, you, you think that it's a useless technology. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And I, I think, you know, him talking about, you know, his response to the, the whole the jetpack conversation is to say hey if i see a kid flying around with a jetpack i'm going to be pretty amazed and i'm going to be like man we could do anything mm-hmm. you know if if we can have jetpacks what else can't we and what can't we do and unfortunately I, I just don't think anybody picks up their cell phone and thinks man i've got the internet i've got the accumulated knowledge of of pretty much the entire world in my pocket what can't we do? We just don't think like that. Cause, really? Because that's what, I mean, I think that every time I pick up my phone, I'm just like, this is the most amazing thing. I keep on thinking, like, my life would be so different if I had this when I was 15 years old, you know? I mean, it's true. <laughs> I, I think about that all the time. I'm going to quote a country singer, so you might not know it, Mike. Is um, it Tim McGraw? But I really, it's not <laughs> okay. Tim McGraw, it's Brad Paisley, and it was funny because oh, this worked, was playing on the William way home. Shatner, so I might know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he had a song that on his, his newest album called uh, American Flag on the Moon, and I like uh, the lyrics of it because um, he said that, Tonight I dare you to dream 
go on believing in possible things. Whenever anybody says there's nothing that we can't do, I mean, after all, there's an American flag on the moon. And, you know, I, I think that idea is really powerful. And I think, you know, the, the whole jetpack conversation was leading to that and, and the idea of, okay, what can we do that's really going to to better humanity, not just now, but in the future. And that really struck a chord with me, and especially as they're referencing, obviously, things like NASA installations being closed because we're not paying for that anymore because we don't apparently think that's important, even though half of our technology these days comes from NASA engineers trying to get us to the moon and beyond. Um, and so it benefits us now, but also benefits us in the future. And the short-sightedness is what I've been trying to get at, I think, that we live in today, is that our focus is here and now as if now is all that matters, as if future generations don't matter, as if making our world a better place. You know, Nix has a great point when he says, we've got obesity and starvation as a problem. How is that an issue? You know, and so this movie, it's just... It blows my mind that people have such an issue with it because, yeah, there might be some issues. There might be some plot holes or whatever. But what this movie is trying to say is is earnest and it's important and it's real and it's here and now. Um, and it'll continue to be important for many years to come. And I just wish people would give it more of a chance. And that leads me to this question. Do we have an originality problem? As we talked a little bit earlier with with films and how maybe how we market them or how we get people into the seats to see them what do you guys think about that yeah i don't know you know i've been thinking about this a lot uh lately because of uh that stuff that simon Pegg uh, wrote or or was um quoted as saying and you know i think that people kind of missed the point of what he was saying and i think he was basically saying what you're saying here you know where it's like uh these great ideas and everything, all of these things that, that we were influenced by in the past are now um, being commercialized because they worked. And, you know, people know that they can make a buck off of them. But maybe we should, you know, take a bit of a risk and go back to what was going on in, you know, the 70s where you had movies like, uh, well, The French Connection, which I just, you know, watched uh, this morning and, and stuff like that, The Conversation, and things that are, are really, truly original and have something very interesting to say and are not necessarily just um, marketable. That being said, I mean, I think that even a lot of these sequels and everything are, are doing things which original properties may not even be able to do because it's like expanded storytelling, you know? It's like, I, I love the fact that, you know, Marvel has built up this, you know, epic 10-year story or whatever it is and, and uh, taking its time to to tell these things in, in sort of uh, and not limiting it to just two hours, you know? And also, I mean, sort of playing off of, of the past and, and what people are familiar with allows you to uh, riff on certain themes and, and, and give the audience sort of a shorthand. So I, I'm never going to hate on sequels or anything like that. But at the same time, I really do kind of, well, I mean, that's the thing. Is, is there really a lack of original movies? Because I, I don't think that there is. I think it's just that people aren't going to see them. I mean, you know... This year we've had, what, four original sci-fi movies and we're only in May. And um, that, I mean, you know, take off the sci-fi. I mean, you know, you go to art house films and stuff like that and, and you're finding some good original content. And I guess the challenge and something which I've been trying to challenge myself to do is sort of break out of that, that, that multiplex box and, you know, find the more challenging content, the original content, and, and take, take a chance on that stuff and, you know, not go to see the Avengers because I know I'm going to love it, but go see, um, you know, Chappie because it might be something new. It might be something cool. It's not, but it might be, you know? <laughs> Which is why I didn't see but it. See, there, <laughs> but see, I mean, like, I mean, because I, I, we were talking about this on Twitter when mm -hmm. Mad Max came out and... You know, you were mm -hmm. like, I don't know, it just looks so weird. And I'm like, yeah, you don't know what you're going to get. It could be the worst thing ever. 
but it could also be the best thing ever. You know, risk is part of the game if you want to sit in that movie chair. And you did. <laughs> That's and right. And it worked, right? <laughs> you liked it. So? Yeah. And I, comp- I mean, I do. I completely uh, agree with that uh, 100%. What do you think, Bruce? You know, it's not a easy question to answer because if we knew the answer, Hollywood studios would be crack- cracking out the movies that uh, do really well all the time. But, you know, it's interesting with this picture being a Disney picture. And you're asking about originality. Does it have to be the same franchise or sequels to be successful? What about something original? Well, Disney Pictures came out with Frozen. And that was huge. And no one, before that movie came out, no one even knew what Frozen is. It isn't based on any other franchise. I mean, you could talk about originality. It's, oh, it's similar to other, maybe some Disney Pictures. But, I mean, that knocked it out of the park right there. I think maybe the problem with with some films versus others is when we look at a movie like Frozen, it's animated and kids respond to Disney and Pixar animated films. They'll all go check it out. Tomorrowland falls somewhere a little above in the age range, so it's not going to go after those uh, younger kids. But it's also not appealing to the older kids and maybe not as appealing to adults. So where's the audience for Tomorrowland? Is it in that preteen teen area? Well, maybe they are more into Hunger Games and maybe this just didn't look as interesting to them. So I think originality is there and I think people are interested in something different that isn't cookie cutter or a franchise. But it's there's something about that trailer or something about that preview that just has to grab them and jump to them and, and they'll show up like they did for Frozen. For this one, maybe not as much. And it's funny because a lot of people I felt like were really excited about this movie when they saw the trailers and then they got the reviews it did and people just like, eh, I'm bugging out. Which, I mean, you can't necessarily blame them. I mean, but I, I think the average person, the average American goes to see seven movies a year which, I mean, when you think about it, when you think about the fact that there's about 250 that come out every year, you really do need to pick and choose. I mean, well, you don't. I mean, you can go see a movie every week. But most people don't yeah, like do you. that, you know. Um, so, you know, I mean, you really have to do pick and choose. And, like, if I were to, like, if I had to pick seven movies that I was going to see over the course of the year, there's no way in hell Tomorrowland would be anywhere near close to that list, you know. Even though I love Brad Bird, and in reality, there's no way that I was going to miss it, you know? Um, but, I mean, I, I think, you know, what you're saying is is kind of true about it sort of missing an audience and, and sort of, like, fitting into a, a, a gap uh, in between, like, kids and teenagers and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's one of those um, sort of unfortunate uh, uh problems that that a big blockbuster like this has and that it costs you know 200 million dollars or whatever it is and it's got to justify the studio's expense whereas something like ex machina can make five bucks at the box office and that's okay because it only costs a dollar fifty to make and you know it's 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 unfortunate that that's sort of like where the economics of of movies are at but you know i guess there's not really anything that we can do about that uh so you know it's life whatever (laughs) you know i i i'm not a obviously i i think people know i'm not a hater i'm not trashing anything you know i'm not trashing sequels or comic book movies because i love them you know i couldn't be more excited that um specter is coming out this year it's probably my most anticipated film uh next to star wars i know that might shock some people but specter is is that trailer just uh, it blew me away and uh i jeez i couldn't love skyfall more and so i love sequels to things and i love good comic book movies you know i think the challenge for making those films is to justify their existence as well just like any original film you you need to challenge the audience and so for me sometimes when a marvel film hasn't worked as well as it has for other people for me, usually it comes down to I just don't feel challenged by it, you know, um, whereas like, say, Captain America 2, Winter Soldier, man, that's that's literally number two on my list of comic book films because I just love that movie and I love that it's challenging me 
And it's a sequel, like you said, Mike. So it's building off all the things that Marvel's been doing, plus the Captain America, you know, film number one. And it couldn't have necessarily told that story without all that backstory. So um, it's not necessarily always about originality. Sometimes it just needs to be about the challenge that a film is and, and what it's trying to say. And is it trying to really say anything that's worth really listening to? And um, so I don't think there's an originality problem. Um, I think for this, you guys kind of hit it on the head. We don't really do family movies anymore in general, like uh, even Disney. You know, I mean, uh, I think The Rocketeer, you know, this reminds me of The Rocketeer. It's fun. It's vibrant. It's just not capturing the audience that it wants to because we just don't get a lot of families i feel like going to movies anymore you either drop the kids off at the movies you drop the teenagers off the movies or you guys go to the movies you know the whole family isn't going to the movie anymore and and so um and this is what i think this film is really meant to capture that so i'm hoping that people will listen to this they'll be inspired to go see the movie with their kids and talk about it but I'm also hoping as well that it'll have an even bigger audience on Blu-ray and DVD when it comes out too because this movie, I think, deserves to be seen. And I think it justifies its existence with some really important messages that kids and parents, I'd love to see more kids and parents talking about this kind of stuff. So um, for you guys, uh, final thoughts on the movie, just things you may have, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about yet that you really loved or would like to seem different and, and just kind of where you would end up rating the movie. Well, I, I will say that uh, just to piggyback on what you were saying about family movies, um, as someone like myself, who's uh, worked in the television industry, it's interesting also in the history of television that family programming was very prominent. The eight o'clock hour was family viewing. Nine o'clock was more adult. That's gone away. I mean, there's not many TV shows that you really sit down and watch as a family anymore. Kids go to Disney and Nickelodeon and, you know, the adults watch something else. But in the case of this movie, you know, it is refreshing to see a family movie that would appeal to all ages. As an adult, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a fun movie. It had a great message with great characters that, you know, the performances were very well done. George Clooney, of course, is awesome. You know, I, and of course, you know, talking Star Trek earlier, I, I did think about Star Trek in this movie because uh, Plus Ultra, the group is uh, that developed Tomorrowland, this dimension where this this land is, is looking for scientists and people of talent. And one thing that was a little striking to me is the fact that NASA in this movie was closing down. But wouldn't the best minds be working at NASA, and wouldn't they be? working with Plus Ultra to try to bring positive thoughts and hope to humanity and the world. So I, it, it was interesting to me that sometimes I felt the movie kind of contradicted itself and I couldn't understand why maybe why uh, Hugh Lowry's character was acting the way he was. But regardless, I, I, I feel like I've been kind of picking little things here and there about this movie, but ultimately I just want to say that I, I think it was a great movie. I would recommend it to anyone to go see it or rent it when it comes out. And uh, it was a very good, feel good, fun action movie. Um, yeah. I, I, what you were saying earlier, Matt, about um, it having some very interesting themes and some very important themes and, and uh, people, uh, uh, giving it a chance because of that or, or the fact that people should be giving it a chance because of that. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I guess the problem that I have with it is it doesn't do a good job of executing those ideas. I mean, the, the problem with this movie isn't conceptual. It's, uh, um, it's in the execution and it's really in the execution of the script because everything else is, is pretty spot on. I, I love the, the visual style. I, I love the performances uh, I love the editing, and um, it's just the story, which is weak, and the storytelling, which is weak, really. And uh, because of that, I mean, yeah, I, I do think it's a good movie. It's better than, than most movies that are out there now, but it's not, like, elite level by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's definitely a lot of stuff out there right now which is is better. So I don't know if I would necessarily recommend it to someone who's on the fence. 
Well, I'm going to say this, um, you know, I've been honest, you know, it's, it's definitely not a perfect movie, but I think that I do think if you're on the fence, I think you should go see it. I don't think you're going to be disappointed, you know, uh, put aside reviews and what other people say and just go in with an open mind. This, and I, I use myself as an example. I, I had no idea absolutely no idea what to expect when I walked in to see um, Mad Max. I just had a really whacked out trailer and that was it. And people saying that it was good, but I I kind of went in expecting that I was going to hate the movie, honestly. And it, and it won me over. You know, so go in t- to watching Tomorrowland with no expectations and I, I think in, in the end you would be actually pleasantly surprised. Um, I, I think... The acting in here, as we talked about, um, the three leads, George Clooney is fantastic. I think it's interesting that he's done this movie and then before he did Monuments Men, both very, like, nostalgic, you know, um, heartwarming films, you know. Uh, That was a movie I would never have necessarily expected um, from George, just very pro America, you know, and that's just not what I necessarily expect from George Clooney all the time. Um, but I like him a lot and I loved him in this film. I think he played the role in a way, like you said, Mike, I haven't seen George Clooney like this in a while and I felt like he was just having fun. So that was good. Um, Britt Robertson as Casey and Rafi Cassidy, um, were both, I think, brilliant and I can't say enough good things for, Rafi Cassidy as Athena. I really think that she just blew it out of the park. And to me, she stole the movie. Um, and uh, spoilers, I was disappointed that she doesn't make it through the entire thing. <laughs> because if there was ever a hope for a sequel, I was like, I, I really want her character to be there. She's she's fantastic. She's so, a robot. They can bring her back. She is a robot. They can make another one. You're right. So I think there's a better um, chance of her being in a sequel than there's a chance of there being a sequel. That's true. Well, and the problem is, is that I don't know if he has a sequel in mind, especially since, um, you know, she's the kind of robot that doesn't grow or age. She's not like Data. Um, So she won't be the same size anymore (laughs) at all. Yeah. So it would be very difficult for them to to redo that. But um, yeah, and notice they didn't set this movie up to lead into a sequel. It didn't end. No, they really didn't seem to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, guys, I'm I'm really excited that we got a chance to sit down and, and talk about this film, and and I'm you know I'm glad that I think we really gave the listeners an honest view of the film. I hope people will go see it, but and and talk to us back on the the Babel conference and on Twitter about what they thought, because I, I think the movie has a lot of things that are worth talking about, and uh, but it is not the only thing that we have been talking about here on Track FM this past week. So here is a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And I think it was a very anticlimactic thing for a lot of people because they were expecting me to to do, you know, my raw and ranting thing. But instead, I just was like... Oh, that's depressing. Okay, bye. Earl Grey. They've now shifted into the Biff-controlled 1985. Who got a hold of the Almanac in order to turn yesterday's Enterprise? The Enterprise C is the DeLorean in this scenario. The Orb. I'd like to see the Borg assimilate Ferenginar, and then they would become bankers. You know, I could see... Oh my gosh, I could see drones. Yeah, yeah. The, the world's strictest <laughs> bank ever. Right. I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be assimilated. <laughs> the nanites go into you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to the journey. I, I, I kind of want something with a little bit more teeth. For some okay. reason, like like starting a garden just doesn't scream mirror universe to me. <laughs> starting a garden doesn't have teeth. <laughs> the ready room. I hate to put it this way, but maybe in, in some strange twisted logical sense if archer just kind of flew on by and didn't help the colonists the enterprise d would have never crash landed on viridian so it's not troy's fault it's captain archer's fault literary treks this is this is something that doesn't get 
done a lot in books because I don't think the time period's supposed to be that long. Mm-hmm. But what did you end up thinking about having a story take place before where no man's gone before? Well, I thought personally that it was really cool. The 602 Club. My two favorite scenes in the film are Cap saying language <laughs> and then the rest of what the jokes that go with that and then Cap moving the hammer just enough then Thor's face when he can't pick it up is priceless. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows. Find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and in Tomorrowland. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast, guys. Uh, you know uh, with Apple, there's a couple of things you can really help us do to grow. Uh, I want to here give a quick shout out to Trey34, Odonata28T, and Phasers to Wellsby. All three of those people gave us five-star reviews and written reviews there on uh, iTunes. I really appreciate it, guys. Um, we're, we're still doing the contest right now. Um, we're trying to get to 50 reviews by uh, June 1st. And if we do, Norm and I have some amazing prizes for you. The uh, oversized USS Vengeance from uh, Eagle Moss, as well as the superhero Blu-ray of your choice, or DVD, if you don't have a Blu-ray player. So... If you're not on Apple, we got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. You can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and, of course, grab the RSS link as well. Another really important thing that you can do to help us keep the network coming to you is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. We are a listener-supported network. Without you guys, we can't do this. There's a, there's a lot of money involved um, in putting everything together. And so we just really appreciate all of you who have gone to Patreon already supported us Uh, it really does help out all the costs that we have from hosting the shows on on the web to everything else that goes into this go to patreon.com slash trek fm and you'll find the goals that we do have Uh, we've got milestone contribution levels and we've got some great perks to um early access to content i've got a couple of my associate producers here on the show they get the show um, before anybody else does um you get uh exclusive content producer credit seats in the content development team so much more Guys, I just want to say a heartfelt thank you um, because this means a lot to me. I love getting to share my passion for all things geeky with you, and I really appreciate you giving us your support. Um, speaking of associate producers, I'd like to thank Norman Lau and his support of the network, the 602 Club. It's how we met. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Norman Lau. He's a big supporter of the Star Trek Action Art Project. You can find him on their official Facebook page as well as the Babel Conference. And, of course, he's also the host of Warp 5. Also, a big thank you to Ken Tripp and his support of the network, and I really appreciate his constant support and being an associate producer here on the 602 Club. Guys, uh, you can contact us at trek.fm slash contact. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm, and of course the Babel Conference. It's an amazing place to have some great discussions about all the films we talk about here on the 602 Club, plus everything else going around the network. Just uh, search in the Facebook field, the Babel Conference, or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. And man, I'd love to have some thoughts from you guys on what you thought about Tomorrowland. Well, Mike and Bruce, I'm really glad that you got a chance to to join me tonight. Uh, Bruce, tell everybody where they can find you Online. Well, when I'm not down here in my man cave like I am now, you can find me at Admiral underscore Rex on Twitter. And uh, that's also uh, where you can email me as Admiral underscore Rex at Yahoo.com. And uh, outside of that, you'll find me in the Babel Conference. And Mike, uh, remind everybody where they can find you as well. Uh, well, you can find me right here on the, the network doing Standard Orbit and uh, commentary Trek Stars, and we're actually going to be talking about Tomorrowland in a, about a month or so um, as part of our Damon Lindelof uh, series. And you can also find me on my website, commentarytrackstars.com, where I do commentary track stars off-topic and commentary track star babies. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. 
Well, guys, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we do talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. I also do literary treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek interview authors. Have a great time over there. And then I've got my own personal blog where I do movie reviews, book reviews, and all sorts of other things at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.